Aloha, everyone. Ronnie Landis here, the host of the official Ronnie Landis podcast show. I am also the founder of the Holistic Health Mastery Nutrition Certification Course, and you can find more information on that at www.holistichealthmastery.com. And I would also really love to encourage you, and I would totally appreciate it, if you can make your way over to the iTunes page for the official Ronnie Landis podcast and just leave a review. If you really enjoy these interviews that we're doing, you're getting a lot of benefit, a lot of education, a lot of entertainment value, leave us a review, let us know what you think. That way, the podcast gets out to a wider range of audiences. It puts it up higher in their ranking. And I can also see the feedback firsthand to see how we're doing with everything. So, really appreciate that. So, today's interview was really fun. I have to say, it was extremely fascinating. It was engaging. And I had a lot of fun with it. And our guest today is Dr. Gerald Pollack. Dr. Gerald Pollack is the author of a number of really highly acclaimed, award-winning scientific books. His latest book is The Fourth Phase of Water. And this caught my attention about two years ago when I was digging deeper into the science of water um, in the water matrix and just everything going on with water, water, water wizardry. And his work came up and it's a fundamental and powerful discovery that he has uncovered about the stages or the phaseology that water goes through. And some powerful insights came through in this interview. In fact, I wasn't really ready for them, to be honest with you. I knew that this would be interesting. I knew that I would get a lot out of it, but I didn't realize how cool of a gentleman that Dr. Pollock really was and how down-to-earth he really is. Um, He's a very academically trained scientist and bioengineer, and has written just incredible like academic papers and is a university professor. So I wasn't totally sure what to expect, but he is one cool, down-to-earth, uh, sensible individual. And we just had an amazing conversation. This conversation took a lot of different directions. And what I loved about it was that we kept going back and forth with each other. Every time he would say something about water or the nature of um, this discovery about the fourth phase of water or what's called the exclusion zone, which you guys are going to find out all about, it popped up a new data point for me that I connected with something else about juicing or raw food or, or alkaline and acid balance or whatever the thing was. And we kept going back and forth. And I really feel like I was able to complement what he brought to the table. And he certainly was able to do that for me. And I think we both had some aha moments throughout the course of this conversation. So... It's exciting, really amazing topic, really amazing insights, some things about water that you probably have never heard about before, and I hope that you enjoy this as much as I did. So without further ado, Dr. Gerald Pollack, enjoy. Professor Gerald Pollack is founding editor-in-chief of the scientific journal Water and is recognized as an international leader in science and engineering. Pollack's interests have ranged broadly from biological motion and cell biology to the interaction of biological surfaces with aqueous solutions. In 1990 book, his 1990 book, Muscles and Molecules, Uncovering the Principles of Biological Motion, won an Excellence Award from the Society for Technical Communication. Two subsequent books, Cells, Gels, and Engines of Life, and The Fourth Phase of Water, both won that society's Distinguished Award. Pollock is recognized worldwide as a dynamic speaker and a scientist willing to challenge any long-held dogma that does not fit the facts. 
And I love that. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Pollock. Oh, it's my pleasure, uh, Ronnie. Very happy to be here with you and your listeners. Mm-hmm. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. I I remember hearing about your work and your discoveries and perspectives on water. I think, if I remember correctly, maybe two years ago or almost two years ago, something like that, where your book, The Fourth Phase of Water, um, uh, came across my radar, and I had been into the study and science of, of water wizardry, if you will, um, as a function for my work as a, a nutrition specialist. And, you know, I just, I just want to say this, um, for me, just kind of as an introductory and a segue for, for everything that you're going to share, about seven years ago, if I remember, I got first introduced to the idea of water and that may that I know that kind of sounds funny but I never really made a distinction that water had a distinction that water was not just this this ubiquitous universal solvent of H2O that was pretty much the same thing so the water I found in a in a glass bottle to a plastic bottle to the water coming out of my refrigerator to the water coming out of my tap or the water in my toilet was pretty much the same exact substance. I never really had that distinction until I was introduced to um, spring water, and then I made a practice of going to natural springs and and retrieving spring water that came out of the womb of the earth and so on and so forth. So that led me down a journey of... Um, you know, discovering this whole thing around water and just what an incredibly um, unique and undiscovered subject it was. And I know we're going to really go into that idea that we don't know everything about water. Um, in fact, it seems that we, the more we think we know, the more questions arise. So I'm really excited to have you on and to share your insights about this. Well, yeah, th- thanks, Ronnie. And Sure, there, there, there's a lot to be said about uh, about different kinds of uh, of water. I think what you say is true that for most people, you know, it's H two O, and and if you if you bother to uh, to drink um, uh, waters that actually cost money at the at the market or internet, then you're nuts because everybody knows that water is just H two O, and I think that's one of the reasons why why the the medical community has not, um, I mean, apart from some of the scientific community, why the medical community has, uh, has failed to embrace water as, um, as a healing substance, substance, because, you know, water is not simply H2O, the, the different uh, the spring waters, even the holy water. Uh, I've seen results uh, presented by physical chemists who looked at some of these holy waters and you know, holy cow! The the <laughs> the, the uh, there really are physical chemical uh, differences. So probably it's safe to say that no two waters are exactly alike. It's not simply a collection of H two O molecules. You know, the stuff that's in the water, um, what we might call impurities or you know, minerals and such, have a profound effect on. On, on the chemistry, the structure, the, uh, exactly what you're you're drinking. So, so I think yeah, you're you're really um, on onto something. And it kind of reminds me just on on this topic about uh, a, a group in Asia. Uh, probably you you know about the Hunza uh, mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So they live, you know, hundred, hundred and ten, hundred and twenty. It's not abnormal. And there are stories of having children at age 90 or so. I'm not sure that we would, not many people would want to do that, but <laughs> that, but that place where, um, um, attracted um, a Nobel laureate in, in the field of fluids, Henry Coanda. And he went there and he was trying to figure out what is it about those people that kept them living so long. And so he found it was the water that, uh, that they're highly mineralized, water that they drink and it's it's so rich with with minerals that it's kind of thick and a lot of tourists go there and the tourists don't want to drink that water although they know that the water has huge 
health value. They don't want to drink it because it looks awful. It's it's not clear. It's uh, thick with with minerals, and so so the local people, um, um, diligent, industrious, and um, eager, maybe to uh, attract the tourists, they filter it. So. So the people think they're drinking this wonderful water, which will keep them healthy and and um, impart lo- longevity. But they're not really drinking the 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 real thing. Anyway, main point is that one water is not the same as another water. It kind of it kind of comes to what we found. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but we found a you know a distinct. Uh, uh, difference. We found, mm-hmm. you know, when 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 we're when we go to school and <clears throat> we're we're taught where everybody's taught that that water has three phases. And right. Everybody understand, yeah. So you know, there's the solid phase. Uh, you don't get too much of that in Hawaii, but um, uh, yeah, not not too much unless it's uh, it's presented to us in a fr- you know, like in a grocery store or something in a freezer. Yeah, well, yeah, same stuff. Um, yeah, so that's that's ice. That's the um, you know highly crystalline version of of water. Mm-hmm. And then there's liquid water, and um, it's a kind of surprise. Ordinary liquid water that we drink every day. Um, that the actual structure, the way the molecules interact with one another, is you know as shocking as it may seem, is not known. Um, and the evidence for it's not being known is. In my recent book that you mentioned, the fourth phase of water, I, I I tried to give a picture of what that phase is like, and and uh, various prominent scientists around the world think they know <laughs> what the structure is, and so I give a something like a half dozen versions that come from different prominent groups, and and the, and the only thing that is consistent. Uh, among the views of those groups is that all the other people are wrong and they're right. <laughs> so, uh, it, uh, so would it be would it be safe to say that they are slightly dogmatic about that? Well, I, I'm exaggerating a little bit. In, in, <laughs> in fact, in fact, that that title came from a discussion with a colleague of mine who was dealing with the second law of thermodynamics and. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with thermodynamics, but this is one of the the uh, disciplines in science that that many people like to invoke. So someone comes forth with with um, some idea and and very excited about it, and some pompous person stands up and says, "Well, you know, uh, that's a really interesting idea, but it violates the second law of thermodynamics." Mm. And of course, the poor soul being unable to defend himself or herself <laughs> quietly backs away and it's it's a kind of way of putting things down and and my friend who's in the field uh, who deals with the second law of thermodynamics used that same phrase and he said yeah, he said there are dozens of second laws of thermodynamics you know and mm. and the only similarity between them is that the person who put forth the idea said all all the others are wrong and everybody is equally dogmatic and arrogant in, in so doing so so uh, the amusement is you know that everybody of course thinks that their own idea is is better but the upshot of it is that you know there really is no clear unique statement of this famous second law of thermodynamics so if you want to use the second law of thermodynamics as a as a basis for um, uh, approving or agreeing with some idea or tearing it down it's really hard to do because there is no unique second law of thermodynamics uh, almost all people who are dealing deeply with that disagree with the other people so so you know if there's no gold standard it's really hard to to uh, say conclusively whether some idea fits or doesn't fit, and so that's anyway. So, so, so the main main point about about ordinary water, we sometimes say bulk water, normal water, whatever, is that surprisingly, you know, it's it's the simplest and maybe most abundant substance on the face of the earth, and it's all over the universe and beyond, and and yet we don't know its structure. <laughs> it's kind of surprising, and then the third. The third one is, of course, the vapor, and um, it's odd. In most people's education, there's not much discussion about evaporation. 
Um, and people don't really uh, discuss it a whole lot. And the, the ordinary assumption is, well, you know, when things evaporate, so you've got a, a body of water. And if the water goes from the liquid state to the vapor state, what's really going on is that molecule by molecule, these molecules are getting a kick of energy, mm-hmm. and that frees them from the liquid water, and then they evaporate. Well, I have a whole chapter um, uh, about evaporation in my book, and it's nothing like that. Uh, actually, the evaporative unit is not a molecule of water, but a cluster of billions of molecules of water into mm-hmm. these tiny so-called aerosol droplets that rise up. Yeah. And you can see that if you... If you uh, if you go into Starbucks uh, and order some hot coffee, and if if you see the rising vapor, and you can easily see it against the black background view, uh, that shows it, and you can see it's like smoke rising, it's vapor rising. In order for you to see vapor, uh, the vapor, the particles in the in the vapor, or the droplets in the vapor, have to be at least the the size of the wavelength of light, and that's. Wavelength of light is roughly half a micrometer. So if you calculate how many water molecules are in this um, ha- half a, a, a micrometer, that's the smallest, it's something like billions. And, um, and, and these droplets that rise are actually bigger than half a micrometer. So, so anyway, what I want to say is that we all know there are three phases of, or have known that there are three phases of water. And even among these three conventional phases, the only one that is is really clear is that of solid water or or ice. The others are not known at all. And so we discovered a a phase that's in between the solid phase and the liquid liquid phase. Uh, It's kind of gel-like, high viscosity. And, and, And this water, the fourth phase was predicted uh, more than a hundred years ago because people uh, or some scientists realized that if you make a list of all the properties of water and try to explain those properties based on the three phases that we know, it doesn't work. <laughs> There's something missing from that. And, um, and there, there was lots of evidence um, up until roughly 1950, you know, m- more than a hundred papers from different sources Showing uh, that something strange happens when, when when a liquid meets a solid. It's not just water, but but some other liquids too. It changes. It transforms itself completely into into something that's almost unrecognizable. And that's what we found in the case of water. That if you if you uh, immerse some solid in a glass of water or a chamber of, of water, and if that solid is so-called hydrophilic or water-loving, which mm-hmm. means, parenthetically, you know, if you put a piece of this stuff on the table and pour water over it, it doesn't, the water doesn't, doesn't form a droplet, it spreads out. That means mm-hmm. hydrophilic. So we found mm-hmm. numerous, if you put numerous hydrophilic substances, any of numerous, in water, the water next to it changes its character uh, completely. Uh, there have been mostly from our lab, other labs too, some 10 or so different measures of water's properties, chemical, physical, all of them uh, differ. So this is something, this is a genuinely a new phase and new. Of course, it's been around forever, but uh, I, you might say newly discovered. So, of course, the question arises, well, you know, so what? <laughs> How does that affect me? It affects you profoundly because this is the water that fills your body, most of your body. It's not H2O. It's it's this fourth phase. We call it fourth phase. Sometimes we call it EZ water because EZ sounds, it, it stands for exclusion zone. And what we found, just like ice, you know, that when it forms, it excludes solutes and particles and such, so you get a pure crystal. So as it, as it builds up, it just pushes like a glacial moraine, it just pushes out all, all the stuff and it excludes it. So we called it exclusion zone. And, and um, you know, somebody suggested that, well, that Seth suggested this name because we've been seeing this over and over again. And um, it, it's an observation. So someone said, call it exclusion zone, not only because it excludes, but also 
exclusion zone EZ is easy to remember. Right. <laughs> so it turns out it is easy to remember, but it's actually not the most appropriate term. But anyway, that's a lot of history. I'm sorry, I just keep on blabbing. No, it's it's great. I, I actually wanted to um, uh, clarify. Um, so when you say exclusion zone, what that sounds like to me and what I understand from looking into it is that this fourth phase of water, this exclusion zone, is essentially excluding all non-water molecules. Is that correct? Like impurities? Yes. Uh, you know, we can't say all because we haven't studied all, but, mm. uh, but you know, all, almost, almost all are, are excluded. Almost no matter what we put in there. Um, big particles, small particles, big molecules like proteins and such, cells like bacteria... Uh, virus uh, particles and even even dyes whose molecular weight goes all the way down to maybe a hundred or so are they're all excluded. I see. And so it's a you know it's it's a, it's pretty profound. Um, and so we at first when we discovered it we were amazed because this exclusion zone is not trivial in size. You know it's not just one or two molecular layers. It's it's, it's uh, typically millions of molecular layers, wh which turns out to be you know a, a fraction of a millimeter, and, and sometimes it, it's so large uh, that you can see it with your naked eye. And the the way we detect it is is really simple. We um, we put a, a, we take start with water and some particles. We use spheres. Uh, they're called microspheres because they're very small, tiny spheres suspended in the water, and then we immerse the material. Um, and uh, any of you know numerous materials, and we look in the microscope and we see that these particles are excluded from the region right next to that material, and that the size of that zone just keeps growing and growing and growing, and as it grows, it pushes out the uh, microspheres, and you're left with a zone that has excluded the microspheres, and therefore it has the name exclusion zone, mm -hmm. and. The exciting part about this is the energy. You know, you need energy to, to do something like that. And it took us a few years to figure out where that energy might come from. And it came, uh, the discovery was made by, um, not by, by some stroke of brilliance or something, but uh, by a, an undergraduate student who took a lamp uh, in, in the laboratory and he shined it on the chamber where this exclusion zone had, had grown. And if you look at the exclusion, it grew enormously with that light. And then it took away the light, and it 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 um, its size reduced back to the standard size. So, it, you know, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that it looks like light is responsible uh, for building this zone. And we did many experiments, um, um, what you might say, scientific experiments. Uh, uh, not not the way the student did to to follow up and and basically we we confirmed that that the energy that's responsible uh, for building this zone um, and also separating charge because uh, I, I mentioned to you that the exclusion was negative and the region beyond is positive mm -hmm. so so when the zone grows uh, you have this ordered semi crystalline zone that's building up and charges are getting separated so. Both of those processes need energy, and, and we couldn't—we didn't have a clue where that energy was coming from. You know, you couldn't take the chamber and plug it into 110 volts or something like that. And and um, and, and finally, it was this undergraduate student uh, performing his experiment that gave us a clue as to what's going on. And the reason this is important, uh, more than just a scientific curiosity, is that you're exposed uh, to light all the time, especially being in Hawaii, mm -hmm. uh, and, and the question is, well, gee, do, do you actually use that light? And some of us are cautioned to stay away from light too much or ultraviolet and such, but, but, uh, but this light actually has health benefits. Um, you know, it, uh, the, the, um, we have lots of water in, in, inside of us, and as I said, most of it is fourth phase uh, water, but sometimes, um, you know, when we're ill, uh, our cells are not functioning properly. You may have some 
aches and pains or muscle cells that aren't contracting uh, in, in the right, or I should say aren't relaxing uh, properly. They're kind of cinched up and contracted. And, and um, it, it, it may well be that we're suffering, the, or these cells are suffering a kind of dehydration. Yes. And, yeah, so yeah, we're all familiar with, with dehydration, but the point is that if you expose yourself to light, uh, light builds this kind of water, which is the normal functional water inside the cell and and so that that provides some basis for understanding why why light can be therapeutic and, and you know light is used for so many things it's been used over the ages but now people are coming to the realization that uh, various wavelengths of light are particularly good for uh, um, reversing certain pathologies so Light therapy is used, uh, well, for, for so many things, uh, including, uh, well, uh, for, for reversing depression, uh, for skin issues. And I, I found out recently, I should have known, but also for the circulation. Uh, there are many uh, alternative complementary medical people who um, expose the blood Either simply by sticking um, a light pipe in, into the vein and putting ultraviolet at the back end, and um, and the reports are that this is astonishing. It has such good effects on the circulation. So anyway, main point: you're full of water. You need easy water, fourth phase water for function. If you don't have enough of it, your function is is impaired, and you can you can easily. Uh, or easily, you can reverse this by using certain exposing yourself to certain wavelengths of light, which are then absorbed by the water in your body, and mm. you become become healthier. A sauna is a is a good example. You know, actually, it's a very good example because uh, the the light, so to speak, um, is actually uh, infrared light that comes from you know it's heat, um, and and heat and is, is essentially equivalent to infrared light. There's some technical issues there, but basically, if you have something that's hot, it's generating a lot of infrared light, we can say, or energy. Um, and that's, we found in the laboratory that this kind of uh, light is is the light that's principally involved in building this, this kind of uh, water, uh, in, infrared. And so... Yeah, um, because it's absorbed very readily by by water, and and so if you think about you know you go into the sauna, you feel great when you come out thirty minutes, twenty minutes later, and you wonder why you feel great. Uh, is it is this some kind of a psychological issue? And it might might be, but it also now is understandable on the basis that the infrared energy creates builds easy water and you need the easy water in your cells for proper function so we weren't designed to be depressed <laughs> um, but something is wrong and, and and this may help to reverse uh, what what's wrong yeah so so let me let me hold you there for a moment um, a lot of different uh, connective points have just kind of come together for me when you're talking about the infrared sauna you're talking about the exclusion zone or the easy water, the fourth phase of water, that is, you're saying that that's most present in our body. The water that makes up the human tissue system is actually based in um, the fourth phase of water opposed to whatever else we may think of as just H2O, for example. So, yes. So what comes up for me is that um, the connection of the dots that I'm getting is that I was educated that our cells have a certain amount of layers of water molecules that, that make up the integrity of the cell. And a dehydration is essentially those layers of water uh, molecules start to degrade or uh, dehydrate. And then that's essentially what shrivels up the cell or, or um, um, uh, deintegrarizes, you know, uh, degrades, I guess you could say, the, the cell essentially and causes quote-unquote disease essentially it's a dehydration so what i'm getting at is that the the infrared sauna idea is really interesting to me because um we're educated on infrared saunas that essentially that infrared light 
permeates or penetrates, I should say, deeper than the epidermal layers of the skin tissue and goes all the way to the cells and opens up a detox pathway for embedded toxins to to go through the detox portals out of the 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 skin essentially that's the basic idea but what you're also saying is that um, although that may be part of the case there's you're actually what i'm getting from you is the the infrared light is is uh what's the best way of saying this it's it's bringing more integrity back to the cells i guess is kind of what i'm saying yeah, yeah, I, 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 I hear you. Um, yeah, for, first of all, different infrared wavelengths penetrate to different depths. Uh, some don't penetrate too deeply. Some penetrate very deeply. So it depends on the particular wavelength of, of, of interest. And there, some of that detox may may be uh, cor- correct. But but this is a yeah a different paradigm. So if you can imagine in, inside your cells. There are mostly proteins. Uh, the solids inside your cell, I think, eighty percent or seventy percent are proteins, and it's it's the proteins that do the work of the cells. So, uh, for example, if you're dealing with a muscle cell, then the muscle proteins, actin, myosin, and, and some others, do their thing. And uh, doing their thing means means some molecule is undergoing a transition from from one conformation to another. Let's say it bends or it shrinks or something like that. However, um, the normal environment for that protein is not sitting in a vacuum. <laughs> it's actually sitting in, in easy water. Mm-hmm. Easy water is a kind of interfacial water. It, it exists next to hydrophilic surfaces or charged surfaces, and the proteins are exactly that. So picture the protein as a you know, a finger or something like this, and around this finger are layers of easy water. That's the normal configuration. So it's, it's bathing in that water medium, essentially. It's, it's, um, that's, a, is that, that's basically that negatively charged water, that easy water right. is what's giving those proteins its functionality, its electrical exactly. charge. Exactly. That's the point. Exactly. Right. You, you hit on it. That That's what gives it the functionality. See, when the protein does its thing, like when the muscle contracts, the muscle bends or twists, or I mean the proteins bend or twist or whatever, they do that in the presence of this kind of interfacial, easy, fourth-phase water. If that water is absent, it, you know, it's in a very strange environment, and it can't fold, so to speak in the way it normally folds, and therefore your muscle is not working properly. To get it working properly, you've got to rebuild that easy water. And, um, and there are many ways that you, you can do it. And one, one way is exactly that. One way um, is, is expose yourself to light and make sure you've been drinking enough water. So, so you drink the water, and, and, and the light helps convert that water into the easy water that the proteins need for proper function. See, and that's why I believe that's that's why when you go into the sauna and you you walk in tired and grumpy and uh, with aches and pains and you come out feeling like a million dollars. It charges uh, you then, essentially. It sorry. It, it charges you. Char- yeah, exactly. Charges. Okay. That, mm-hmm. that, so that brings me to the second point: that charges literally. It charges you literally, and uh, so that's why I guess some of your listeners may know about earthing or grounding. Absolutely. Or, yeah. So in Hawaii, especially, I mean, you you walk on the beach barefoot, Ooh. feel good. <laughs> yeah. So why do you feel good? Well, you know, you just look around the grandeur, and anybody would would feel good. But but it's more than that. You know, you're connecting your body to the negative earth. Many people don't know that, but we, we think, you know, I started as an electrical engineer, and if somebody had told me that the Earth has a net negative charge, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I, I, it would be impossible because we all learned that the ground, so to speak, the extra uh, plug when you plug into the wall, it's zero. However, it's not. And um, I, I learned this only in the past decade or so. Um, what, there was a Russian guy who was in my laboratory, and he told me about the Earth's electric field. And I said, you mean the magnetic field, right? 
because we all know about the magnetic field. He said, no, the electric field. So I told him, I said, you know, I studied electrical engineering and nobody ever told me about an electric field. So electric field occurs when you like have a, a two plates, like a capacitor or something, and one is positive and one is negative. So in between those two charged surface, oppositely charged surface, you have an electric field. So he told me, well, there's an electric field on the surface of the Earth, and it's 100 volts per meter. So that means uh, as you stand up, your nose, if you're sort of six feet tall, your nose is 200 volts positive with respect to your toes. Now, I said, this is impossible. I, I, I've been in electrical stuff my whole life, and I've never heard of such a thing. Well, the next day, one of my students uh, brought me the, the book by the legendary uh, physicist, Nobel uh, laureate, Richard Feynman, uh, you know who who is the hero of all most all many <laughs> all physicists and and there was volume two chapter nine talking about about the earth's electric field and the negative charge on the surface of the earth and I was just blown over by by this so fifty or sixty years ago everybody knew about it and now mm -hmm. many people have forgotten uh, that that exists but but it's true. There's a lot of evidence, and you know, since the 1950s, when Feynman uh, wrote the, those his his lectures, uh, there's there's not been a, any kind of refutation uh, of that. But people have forgotten it. So why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing it up because the the uh, surface or subsurface area of the Earth is a huge repository of negative charge of electrons. Okay, and we need um, it, it, each cell in our body is negatively charged, and I believe it's negatively charged because of this negatively charged water. And there are other other views that are more widely accepted. Uh, I don't want to get into that. I believe it's a simpler idea, and it's simply that the cells are filled with negatively charged EZ water. Therefore, they're negative. But if you have a shortage, if you're if you're dehydrated your cells uh, are short of easy water, then the cells don't have this uh, large uh, negative electrical potential. They have less of it. And this has been well known for quite a few years. So, so if you recharge those cells with negativity from the earth, you, you walk on, on the sand or in the water and such, the earth is surrendering its negative charge to your body and restoring uh, this easy water because you need negative charge in, in, in order to build it. So uh, the biophysicists on, who, are, who have been studying this for quite a few years un understand that that's the rationale, but, but uh, many people don't realize why it has a therapeutic effect. So, so this has actually grown into a kind of industry with, with uh, uh, various products. For example, uh, one product is you take your shoes and they sell shoes now with a with some metal at the bottom, plugs of of conductor, so that as you walk, you can connect yourself to the earth more frequently than you would if you're wearing insulating shoes. And and you can buy bedding with uh, with threads, uh, metallic, very fine metallic threads running through it, and and uh, and then you plug it into the the ground socket in your wall, or actually in connected to a stake that's driven into the earth. That's that's better. That's sure. And uh, uh, you know, many people find that that if, if they sleep on bedding that has that, that they finally can get a good night's sleep. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't tried it myself, but but I've heard this from enough people. So anyway, the, the reason I'm I'm blabbering on about this is that this this the mechanism that we're talking about is is not so different from the mechanism of exposing yourself to light. Um, exposing yourself to the earth builds negative charge and therefore helps build the water inside your cell. Um, the water water is. Um, well, <laughs> well, it, it, um, I, I, I want to, I want to jump in again because this yeah. is, this is so, this is fun for me. Um, this me is, too. <laughs> it's, yeah, I could tell. It's super fascinating. A, what I'm hearing is that, essentially, from a certain perspective, a certain paradigm, what we're trying to do is connect back with the geosphere, the um, heliosphere, and the 
atmosphere and the you know the the hydrosphere essentially like our our entire environment the earth sun water and um and air essentially so that's just one perspective i put out there based on what i'm hearing from you when you mention light when you mention a certain um stage in water when you mention um earthing you know this that's just kind of the simple common sense that comes back to me but um, I, I do want to just jump in here with this and segue you through um, where I think you're going with this is you, you brought up earthing. And this is a huge thing for me. Um, one of the things that has been shown about earthing, which is that that barefoot skin to skin connection with the earth or um, a permaculture term is the ecstatic skin of the earth, which I really like. Yeah. And what they found out is when you take somebody that has um, like a diabetic condition, they have thick, um, viscous blood. Um, they basically, you know, like red blood cells clump up and coagulate together and oh, yeah. it stops oxygen transportation. What they found out is 45 minutes of grounding can actually help disassociate those red blood cell bonds and free up somebody's blood chemistry. Uh, yeah, I hadn't heard that, but I, it's perfectly believable because, you know, this is restorative. It restores, I bet, it's not just the diabetics uh, who I know whose blood is like ketchup uh, um, and, and, yeah, and freeing those red blood cells so that they don't clog up and block tissues and cause them to die. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just that. I, I, they're probably, I haven't read the entire literature, obviously, on, on this, but I, I know that studies have been done on uh, on many type people with many types of issues and and this grounding or earthing is pretty powerful on on many people and it's so simple and uh, uh, and a variant of that by the way is a, a friend of mine was in uh, where you come from in northern california um, and he was at a um, a uh, funeral uh, for some revered uh, person and um, and the story, one of the speeches, it, it was a story about George Washington. And uh, apparently the story is that jo- George Washington was ill one day and his physician uh, needed to help him out. And the physician said, well, just hug a tree. And uh, <laughs> this was new to me. I, I had not, apparently it, it's pretty well known. And so, and, and good old George hugged the tree for 10 minutes and, and felt better after that and so you know this this seems bizarre and arcane but but if you think about it um the tree is negatively charged in the same way that you're negatively charged and plants are negatively charged we made measurements on that that's what i wanted to that's exactly what i was going to segue in with you is that um the negative the negative charge to me is what what creates the freeing of those those red blood cells because the same thing happens when you take somebody off of what I would consider positively charged based foods, like contaminated food, yeah. and you put them on green vegetable juice, or even you do someone on like spring water fasting, for example, the same exact thing happens. So that's why I, so I want to hand it over to you in that regard about this idea around negative enhancing our negative charge and maybe even clarifying a little bit more your perspective on negative and positive charge as it as it refers to um the water and also the kind of the health perspective sure happy so first the juice um um uh, juicing so it's a funny thing because i was speaking to a friend yesterday and I was telling her about some eels that I have, and she said, "Well, you know, you should do juicing." And I, mm-hmm. I said, "Well, we were doing it a, a year ago, and and we kind of <laughs> tailed off." And and so, what, when you think about the juice, what is what is juice? Well, juice, if you if you take a vegetable and you get rid of the the solids, what you're left with is the, essentially the water. It's the it's the cell water mm-hmm. that you're drinking. See, so the cell water from plants is very, very simple. So, so you're replacing uh, what may be missing in your cell water with real cell water from just an- another species, and so it's full, full of easy uh, water. And we measure that and confirm that for various vegetables uh, and fruits, uh, it's basically cell water, and the cell water. Um, 
is the stuff that you need for good health. So, so it makes total sense to uh, to drink. It takes a little effort to to make, and some people don't often like the taste if it's filled with kale and green vegetables like that. But you kind of get used to it, and then you miss it after after a while. And this is really good for your health. So, it's doing the same thing. It's uh, it's taking mm. negative charge, and the, and the negative charge we think comes from the easy water that's in the cells of the plant. And you're feeding this to yourself uh, to rehydrate your cells with natural cell water. So it, uh, it should be, uh, that, it, I mean, yeah, that, that, that right there is so, um, confirming for me. Not that I needed confirmation that this was good for you. I, I, I'm very clear on that, but this perspective is so clarifying and reinforcing for me. Um, I, I can't help but just throw this last little bit out there and, and I'll let it go wherever it goes. But we all have heard about acid and alkaline. For the last few years, I have come to the conclusion from an electrical, bioelectric perspective, alkaline translates into negative charge. Acid translates into positive charge. Would that line up with maybe your perspective? Totally, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it. you put your finger on um, uh, uh, on that. I, I think you know one of the one of the how should I put it? Um, I hate to use the word um, uh, definition of life because that's not a, a, exactly it. But but one of the one of the things that life strives for is to maintain as much negativity, if you pardon the expression, <laughs> as <laughs> they've got it backwards. It's too bad that electrons are negative. I was just going to say, like, it's such a funny thing. Our colloquial language is so backwards. Yeah, I wish we could do it. I think it was Benjamin Franklin who set, uh, set that uh, nomenclature, and it's just backwards from the way it ought to be. But I guess we're, we're stuck with it. But, <laughs> you know, we've, we, we've made measurements on, on plants and fruits and people, and we're, we're negatively charged. We're not mm -hmm. neutral. And it makes sense that we're negatively charged because we're mostly cells, and our cells are negatively charged. So, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that, that uh, you know, you're negative. And there, we have some preliminary evidence um, that the healthy people have more negative charge and the unhealthy people have less negative uh, charge. Uh, and, and we're going to be pursuing that in, in the future. But, but if you think about the cells in the body, this is well known that healthy cells have a big negative electrical potential like minus 80, minus 90 millivolts. And sick cells, either pathological cells or cells on, on the route to death, you take them out of something and do measurements, and the, this negativity, uh, when it when the cell becomes less negative, you can measure that very easily in cells. We've done it; others have done it. The, the cell becomes sick and is ready to to uh, die. Instead of minus eighty or ninety, it goes to minus fifty, minus forty. And cancer cells are typically minus ten or minus fifteen, and pathological kidney cells are also in in that area. So, so it means that. That from this preliminary uh, evidence, it, it looks like what what life tries to do to keep as healthy as possible is to maintain as much negative charge as possible, which translates into as much easy water as possible because if easy is responsible for most of that negative charge, mm -hmm. then the rehydration and the buildup of easy water equates to to the uh, negative charge. So, and and. If you think about what the body does, your your body, you're laughing. <laughs> it's so uh, it's beautiful. I'm I'm totally with it. Right, okay, so think about think about what your body does. Okay, and my body too. Uh, uh, so we try we try to build this negative charge, but we got to get rid of the positive charge somehow. So how the hell do we get rid of the positive charge? Well, every time you go to the toilet and pee, um, it, uh, the pH. Uh, of the urine is low, which means it's got a lot of protons. So you're getting rid of positive charge every time you go to the toilet. But even more than that, every time you breathe out, you're breathing out carbon dioxide, water vapor, put the two together, carbonic acid, protons. You're getting rid of protons every time you exhale. You can even check that by putting some litmus paper 
in in the water and breathe into the water and it'll turn acid. See, I mean that's been done uh, many times. So, so you're getting uh, and then a third way is if you sweat. Sweat has low pH, mm-hmm. right? And so, so uh, uh, you're again every time you sweat, you're getting rid of protons. So all of these processes. Um, you know, are, uh, what if you put them all together? They're, they're all every every time something leaves your body, it leaves with protons. It gets uh-huh. rid of protons. So, wa- so the waste material, basically. The waste material. You know. So then, um, you ask what what happens if you take a dump? You know. And, <laughs> well, <laughs> I got to tell you that that uh, a friend of mine did the experiment, held a voltmeter, measured his negative <laughs> potential, took a dump, and found that. <laughs> It got more negative just afterwards. So, you know, I, this is not a scientific experiment, but it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if this is actually true. Which would mean that I think that everything that comes out of your body is positively charged, and so the body—it's the body's effort to get to maintain as high a negativity as possible. Because you know, if you have too much positivity, it just counts. It takes away the negativity, um, and. and um, and that's antioxidants. When you talk about uh, what 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 does what do antioxidants do? Well, oxidation um, is is the loss of uh, negative charge, you know. Mm-hmm. And so antioxidants prevent that negative charge from being lost. So so essentially, the the, the substances that are considered to be uh, good antioxidants, like blueberries, for example. Uh, I think what they really do is is they maintain or build the negative charge in your body, and and you could call them antioxidants, if you will, and you can attribute a whole lot of different different mechanisms, and I, 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 maybe those mechanisms are correct, but a very simple interpretation is that they just add negative charge. So yeah, so, this sounds like to me what you're what you're striving to do is deduct everything to its most simple principles. Exactly. And what it also sounds like to me through this conversation is that um, let's take antioxidants as a humongous subject. Um, and basically from the example that you that we had kind of gone over with the pro with that 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 protein molecule in the easy water it's bathing in again with the antioxidants it's probably no different that they only function appropriately within the medium of that easy water, right? Same concept. Well, I'm not, I, I don't know if that's or, true. Or they have the easy water present in them, like a blueberry, for example? Uh, yeah, they, they do. Sure, exactly. Okay. Yeah, it's a biological substance. It's, uh, they're cells, and, and, you know, cells have easy water, right? And it probably, um, yeah, one of my students, uh, I, I haven't, um, it's been a, it's been a while. Measure that blueberries have a lot of negative charge in them. So I, it just might boil down to simply transferring transferring negative charge from from that entity, the blueberry, to you. And it may be as simple as that. And building oh, your I negative see. charge. I see. I okay. Yeah. That 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 turn that that kind of flipped the switch. Yeah. Um, we got a problem with simplicity. You know, science used to be, we, we had the principle of Occam's razor. You know, yes, I'm familiar. Yeah. You take, take the simpler of uh, any, any two options, it's likely to be correct. But mm-hmm. in, in science these days, that's given way to a kind of emphasis on complexity instead of simplicity that um, many of my colleagues will like to stand up there and make a presentation and say, oh, look how complicated it is, and, and parenthetically, look how smart I am because mm-hmm. my issue is very complex and I'm smart enough to be able to understand all this huge complexity. But I, I guess uh, philosophically I feel exactly the opposite, that what we need to do to find truth is to look towards simplicity and not complexity. So, um, I, you know, in my thinking, I like to try to boil down issues uh, in, into the simplest possible realms. I, I, I guess I've, I've done science long enough to, to feel that I'm entitled to a philosophy. <laughs> and that philosophy is, hey, keep things simple. They should be simple enough, as Niels Bohr said, to be able to explain it to your grandmother. I guess in Niels Bohr's day, grandmothers didn't have PhDs in physics. <laughs> now, now they do. So, <laughs> yeah. I love it. I really resonate with that and everything that you've laid out. It's actually, 
I have to say, um, preparing for this interview, I was um, intimidated is not the right word, but I was not totally sure of myself in terms of exactly how to direct the sales or exactly um, what our conversation would look like. But this was very easy. <laughs> um, very, fun for me. <laughs> yeah, and fun. This was a lot of fun, actually. Um, and I felt extremely engaged with it and um, um, that we're able to bounce off each other. And you made it very simple is what I'm getting at in that um, I actually completely understand the basic principles of what you're sharing. And I think the audience is going to get it, too. And there's a there's more that I would now that I'm actually wanting to go deeper into with you. But um, I will propose the final question, given our time constraints um, with everything that you've shared. I know the question is going to be this. What kind of water has the most easy in it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> OK. Uh, you know. I, I get phone calls, emails practically daily. What kind of water should I drink? And and uh, frankly, uh, the, the question is slightly different from yours. I, I don't know which one has the most easy water in it. We do have ways of checking, but, um, you know, um, um, there's so many waters that we, we've not checked, so... I, I can't really... And you do, uh, do you do some kind of actual measurement testing with these waters? Uh, only, you might say, frivolously. We, okay. we, don't, we, we don't sort of collect waters and, and uh, test each one, one beside the other. Um, uh, and, but i, I got to say, um, at, at, at this closing, that we proposed to do that. You know, there, there, this question is looming. Everybody wants to know what kind of water should I drink? Uh, those people who, who really understand the, um, that, how, why, how hydration is so critically important. By the way, just before I go on to that interjection, I, I, I guess probably some of your readers are familiar with the almost classical book written by a guy with a long name, but a uh, short name is Batman Pat. Galage. Right, Batman. Yes. Right, Batman. Okay. Uh, Batman. Uh-huh. And, and it's a great book. His son told me that it sold more than seven million copies on Amazon. Wow! You know, you're. It, it's it's called. You're not sick. You're thirsty. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and so, so this uh, he he demonstrated uh, clinically, not not with standard clinical trials. He was unable to do that. He was thrown in prison in Iran. And as a political prisoner, he did most of his experiments taking care of the other prisoners. And what he found that, what he found is that, is that no matter what issue they had, whether it was diabetes or some heart issue or whatever, just drink a lot of water and you get better. <laughs> it's a, it's a pretty simple message. Uh, and most people have known when they were kids, they're, grandparent or parent said, oh, make sure you drink a lot of water. We, we kind of know that, but we, most of us don't take it so seriously. However, the question is, which water shall we drink? And you say, well, which one has the most easy water? And I, I, I also think, but we have to demonstrate, I think that the water that contains the most easy water, most easy, uh, highest easy fraction in it, will probably be the one that's most healthful. But we don't know that for sure, and we don't know which waters are, are the best in terms of which pathology. There are waters out there where there seems to be evidence that certain pathologies are reversible simply by drinking the water. Uh, I know two sources uh, uh, specifically who, who claim that and where the evidence is actually there. Um, um, so, so, um, so we want to conduct these tests. We have the capacity to do it because, number one, we know something about water, and number two, there's, there, we, we're not making water to sell, and so we have no financial interest mm-hmm. in which water is better than which other water. It's really hard to get the money to conduct those tests. We need a few million dollars to do it properly to investigate, for example, um, which what kind of water is spring water or which spring water or various other manufactured uh, water waters are are best to reverse tumors and it seems that it may be possible to do so with certain kinds of, of waters but one needs to know so we're prepared to carry out 
those tests, I think, in an effective way. But the, the, you know, the government and government agencies are mostly interested in testing drugs, not testing water. So it's really hard to uh, to break through and 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 convey some understanding that there are really simple simple ways that could be extremely effective if we're able to test and pursue this to find out which one. So um, I, if some of your listeners are, are interested in helping to support something like this, I'd be happy to, to hear from them. This is a, mm-hmm. a giant question for humanity, um, and it could conceivably provide a, a simple answer to questions of how to stay healthy. So <laughs> maybe I've answered your your question I, I, I yeah no i i get it i get the conundrum um and i certainly have my own kind of theories and my own experience i just say um it kind of sounds like to me that we're almost almost talking about basically like the water that has the most microcluster structure in it that's most quote-unquote structured um we hear that term a lot um it means a little something different to me than what it might mean to someone else, but essentially that kind of seems to be what the case is. Do you agree with that? Or I think it's probably true, but we need experiments, uh-huh. objective experiments, to confirm whether this is true or not true. Um, and it, it may be that, that, that certain types of water are actually effective against uh, all pathologies, because after all, the water is everywhere. Or it might be that Certain types of water are good for one pathology, but not necessarily for another. Unless so, the water has pathogens in it. Well, that, yeah, <laughs> I mean that's a, a different issue. Well, that's that's. I, I don't want to go on a tangent, but I just I just have to think the 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 paradox is that Doctor Batman Galage was treating people with prison water. Well, and even that water seemed to have worked. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I guess we, we have some ability to, to fight off the, the pathogens, but, but the water itself, you know, it's, it's the fluid of life, and right. you meet, need to make sure that you got enough of it. That, that was a, his book was a powerful message, I think. Uh, so, um, yeah, just, uh, just a final word back to the, the green, the vegetable juice. I've come in, into contact with with uh, many people who deal in alternative medicine. Uh, These are mostly thinking people. Um, and many of them, the patient walks in, and no matter what the problem, it doesn't matter. The first, the first thing they say is, start juicing. <laughs> start, uh, and they report that uh, inevitably they come back and whatever, and by six months later, they not only feel much better, but they've lost weight uh, somehow. It might be the energy that's contained uh, in in this water that that you drink, uh, but but you don't therefore need um, as much food to to get the energy that you require. But the effectiveness of of this is is really high. So we're going to go back to this starting Saturday. I think to to juicing. I think it's it's really important and and effective. Uh, but it's absolutely yeah. It's the water. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I'm again. I just think that was such a profound um, connecting of the dots that you made with the juicing and with water. And I was, I was. Um, I know we don't really have any more time, but I was. Just, I'm just gonna round it out. I was really going to jump into you if you had, um, you know, if you had uh, noticed um, or in your research ever come across like the science of, of raw living foods in relation to the water content of the food, because that's one of the primary differences between cooked plant food and, and raw water-rich food is that it has its water content in it, but when you cook it, it, it um, you know, it vol- volatilizes the water out, it cooks the water out, so that to me started getting my wheels turning like, wow, okay, it's like, it's probably the water that's the primary catalyst in, in juicing, obviously. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, sure, when you heat it, it's not the same anymore. And, um, and, and almost certainly the water is not the same anymore. So, um, yeah, the, the, the fresh 
raw vegetables would 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 presumably be the best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, totally makes total sense. Right. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, Dr. my pleasure. Pollock. This was uh, yeah. so much fun. Yeah, I hope you. Uh, <laughs> hope it's been helpful and useful and thanks a lot for inviting me yeah where um where can people find out about your work about your book and if people want to be able to support you um where are all the resources for that well i'm i'm easy to find uh my email is i'm at the university of washington in seattle so uh, um, uh, if I, i can give my email but um it's it's just uh Nobody will remember it, so but it's easy uh, to find on uh, on the internet. I, I'm not hidden away somewhere. The book, I think, you know, the book is really, the, I guess, the best place to find out about all this stuff. And the reviews have been amazing. I I, I must say, mm-hmm. if my mother were alive, she'd be posting them on the wall. I think <laughs> uh, they're, they're, they're very nice. That you know, people talk about the readability of uh, of it and and the message, and that that's easy to get either through Amazon um, or the publisher's website. Uh, it's Ebner and Sons. E B N E R A N D S O N S dot com. Um, and uh, yeah, th- those are probably the the best. There, there's also there's a TED talk, uh, a kind of simple presentation of what we found. If you just look under my name, Gerald Pollock, uh, TED or TEDx, you'll find it easily. And this is a, a twenty-two or twenty-three minute uh, um, quick presentation of the essence of what we found about the fourth phase of water. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming rather popular, I mean, especially the book, and, and a lot of people have expressed interest, so it's gratifying. But we're, we're excited also about um, the practical applications of it, and, and there are many. One of them is, is, as I mentioned, in terms of health. This is so important, and I only wish that um, it, it were possible to get the money to do the studies that we'd like to do to, to make it clear for everybody, you know, which waters are the best for our health. I'd like to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Me too. I'm definitely, definitely putting out the, the good vibes for you that you'll finally be able to um, get all that's needed for that. And for everyone listening, definitely check out... Um, Dr. Pollock's TED Talk, that's a fantastic TED Talk and very just well laid out, um, like all the information laid out in the book and also on this this uh, this conversation. Um, so, again, thank you so much for joining us. It was a total pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure, Ronnie. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. And hello to all you out there. Mm-hmm. And everyone listening... Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the official Ronnie Landis podcast show. I know that you guys, if you're still listening to this, you obviously enjoyed this um, as much as I did. And check out Dr. Gerald Pollock's work. And until next time, see you on the next episode. Aloha. Aloha to you. (laughs) 